Fact is stranger than fiction. Fact is stranger than fiction. Because stories that are invented for mass media consumption are usually molded to what the public want to hear. But true stories, true stories, on the other hand, just happen. They just happen. And because they just happen, they're very often more bizarre than anything you could possibly make up. I found some examples. In Italy, in Italy, for around £3,000, you can buy ready-made coffins that have beepers, two-way speakers, a torch, a small oxygen tank, and a sensor to detect a person's heartbeat just in case. On the Christmas list. (laughs) Only in America. To this day in Oklahoma, there is a law which forbids giving alcohol to fish. What about this one? In Greenberry Hill in London, Greenberry Hill in London, in 1641, three men were hanged for the murder of a local magistrate by pure coincidence. Their surnames were Greenberry and Hill. Spooky or what? In 1664, 1785, and 1860, passenger ferries sank while crossing the Manaya Strait off North Wales. Amazingly, each disaster occurred on December 5th. But more bizarre than this, on all three occasions, The name of the sole survivor was Hugh Williams. You couldn't make this stuff up. My personal favourite though. In 2012, two burglars in Bogota, Colombia were being chased by the police across rooftops and over walls. It seemed like they were soon to be apprehended when they finally jumped a wall and landed themselves in La Picota, one of Colombia's largest ever prisons. <laughs> Believe it or not, all these stories are 100% true, and they're good evidence of this fact, that fact is often stranger than fiction. And the birth of Jesus, as it's recorded in the Gospels, as we saw played out on the video of our gospel reading this evening. The birth of Jesus is another bizarre example of this fact being stranger than fiction fiction principle. I mean, imagine you had to invent a story about God sending someone into the world. Someone who would show us exactly what God is like. What the Creator is like. And that this person would provide a way for us To get in touch with God. How would you start the story? What kind of birth 
would you invent? If it were up to me, if I were putting together the story of God coming into the world, it would be an amazing story. It would be the biggest international event in history. It would take place in one of the major cities of the world. Maybe New York, maybe London. It would maybe be Los Angeles because that would be handy because Hollywood would be nearby because I would want to turn it into a feature film. I'd want to have film crews there. And I'd also want to make sure that it happened near a hospital somewhere because you never can be too sure. You want the birth to be safe. So I'd want the best medical care available on hand. All the best doctors, film crews, news crews from every nation would be there and present. I would make sure that world leaders were there to welcome God's ambassador to the world. They would give welcome speeches. But none of the facts of Jesus' birth are anything like that. Jesus is born in the small country town. There's no fancy hospital. There's no doctors. There's no nurses. There's no midwives. Mary doesn't even have her mom there to hold her hand. The people entrusted with publicizing this event were shepherds. The working stiffs who pulled the late night shift, who wouldn't be trusted by anyone. The lowest of the low. And then there's the family into which Jesus is born into. If you were a carpenter, a tecton in first century Palestine, you were well poor. The wise men, when they come up and they turn up later in the story, they come looking for a king in the obvious place. They go to a palace, but that's not where they find him. They find him not laid in the latest stylish cot. The stories, the story of Jesus' birth into this world is nothing like how we would imagine it to be. And at this time of the year, the sanitized Christmas card depiction of Christmas prevails. But it's far removed from the reality of that first Christmas. The truth is, it was not a silent night on the streets of David's time. There was nothing particularly complex or regal about the birth of Jesus in the world. There were no heralds in the street announcing the birth of a king. It was a humble, it was a simple affair. But it was not inconsequential. It was the most significant moment in human history in the history of the world. Yet it went unnoticed by pretty much everyone except those few shepherds. John Artberg wrote a book a few years ago called Who Is This Man? about Jesus. And he gives us some reality about that first Christmas. Here's what John Artberg says. He entered the world with no dignity. 
he would have been known as a mamzer, a child whose parents were not married. All languages have a word for mamzer, and all of them are ugly. His cradle was a feeding trough. His nursery mates had four legs. He was wrapped in rags. He was born in a cave, targeted for death, raised on the run. He would die with even less dignity. Convicted, beaten, bleeding, abandoned, naked, shamed. He had no status. Dignity on the level of a king is the last word you would associate with Jesus. The child in Bethlehem would grow up to be the friend of sinners, not of Rome. He would spend his life with the ordinary and the unimpressive. He would pay deep attention to lepers and cripples, to the blind and the beggar, to prostitutes and fishermen, to women and children. He would announce the availability of a kingdom different from Herod's, a kingdom where blessing of full value and worth with God was now conferred on the poor in spirit and the meek and the persecuted. People would not understand what all this meant. We still do not. But a revolution was starting. A slow, quiet movement that began at the bottom of society and would undermine the pretensions of the Herods. It was a movement that was largely underground, like a cave around Bethlehem where a dangerous baby might be born and hidden from a king. Fact is stranger than fiction. In John's Gospel, John chapter 1, verse 1, we read that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was Always God. He enters time and space 100% human, 100% God at the same time in order to save us. And we live in an age where there is much speculation about God. The truth is, we need a revelation. And there's no more need for speculation because we've had one. I think of it this way. I mean, if, if you had just met me for the first time when you were, you were talking to me and, and I happened to say that I was married, and maybe through the course of that conversation, you might be able to make a guess, surmise, have an inkling or an idea of what my wife might look like. You might be able to, you know, make a guess about how old she might be. What color her eyes might be. What color her hair might be. How tall or uh, short she might be. But you'd be guessing. You'd be speculating. But if I took out my phone or my wallet and I opened it up and I showed you a picture of my wife, you wouldn't need to speculate any longer because you've just experienced a revelation. That's what I mean by a revelation, something that tells us about God so that we don't need to speculate anymore. There was a position that Jesus held. He was God, always God, always will be God. Jesus is God's photo. Come into the world 
And none of the other great founders of religions ever claimed to personally reveal God. None of them said, look at me and you will see God. But Jesus did. Jesus was and continues to be God's photograph. His supreme revelation in the flesh. The God-man. Colossians 1.15 states, No one can see God, but Jesus Christ is exactly like him. He was equal to God. But he didn't see that equality as something to cling on to because it was his by right. In verses 9 to 13 of John's first chapter of his gospel, you see the position that Jesus took. Here's how John put it. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Paul, later writing of Philippians, he talked about Jesus laying aside heaven and becoming a servant even to death. A servant who was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus comes into the world, fact stranger than fiction, to revolutionize our, revolutionize our understanding of sacrifice in order to rescue us. If he were only God, he could not have made the sacrifice for our sins. If he were only man, the sacrifice wouldn't be enough. So he comes and lives his life never less than God, never more than man. God came near. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And just think about that for a moment. Don't miss how incredible the incarnation is. God, the maker of all things, leaves the sound of angels' praise and enters our world dependent on a teenage girl. And these strange, humble beginnings of Jesus' life are actually more significant than people realize. You see, so many people have this idea of God that he's distant, that he's aloof. And when it comes right down to it, he's disinterested really in our lives. Others think God is this great, big, powerful grandfather figure who speaks in a loud voice and delights in bossing us humans around. For many people, though, their overwhelming, enduring picture of God is this idea of the good sheriff. The God who's pursuing us only so he can punish us. The God who's out to get us for all the messed up things we've done. But Jesus comes, fact, stranger than fiction. And he shows us a God who's not the good sheriff. He shows us a God who's the good shepherd. He comes looking for his lost people. That he might bring them back home. These strange, humble beginnings to Jesus' life are actually more significant than many realize because they say a lot about God himself. 
And they also say something very powerful about you and me. Because it means this God has time for ordinary people just like us. These humble, strange beginnings scream your worth and your significance in the eyes of God, in the eyes of a God who would become a wrinkled, wailing baby in straw poverty. You're loved so much that God would go to such lengths to provide the way for you to be forgiven, for us to know God. That is Christmas in a nutshell. Fact stranger than fiction. Fact is stranger than fiction. God showed up. God had a face. God had a name. God became one of us. And the good news of Jesus is a mystery that shatters all our preconceptions of a distant, I'm mad at you, God. Apparently, God and his son not only love people like me and you, they actually really like us too. Apparently, Jesus doesn't care about his reputation. He just cares about us. Fact is stranger than fiction. And our response to that, it can only be one thing. Submission, surrender, and worship. Worship is our response to the love of the Father who bankrupt heaven and gave us the greatest gift that could ever be given.